You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the comics edition, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. And here's your host, Vince. Hello, everyone. This is Vince coming to you on Comic Day, better known as Wednesday to the rest of the world, July 28th. And joining me today is the Robin to my Batman, Roger. How you doing today, buddy? If I'm going to be the Robin, I don't want to wear those tight clothing. And I, I'm not going to sit on your lap no matter how often you ask. Well, I, I don't know if there's enough spandex in the world for you to fit in anyway. All right. Fair enough. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, doing pretty good. We're here for our first episode of the Woo. Bow Down to Us comic podcast. We're going to be talking about some awesome stuff coming up. And what better time to start talking about comics than the week after Comic-Con? Which last was, week was awesome. Yeah, last week was insane. I was glued to the internet, glued to Twitter. Like every five minutes, what did they talk about now? What are they talking about now? Who who got their picture taken with who? It's so fun time to be a nerd yeah i i thought it was phenomenal i and we talked about this on our lore episode as well what killed me was the wealth of people there that had nothing to do with comics per se but like you had your celebrity that fit into that cult popish nerd category like your nathan filion your uh felicia day and all those people and i mean even bruce willis dropped by and all those people and I can just imagine the sense there that, you know, it's all right to be a nerd. It's all right to like comics and to be here and just chill out with all these people. Yeah, Hollywood's starting to realize that this is a huge market full of people with obviously disposable income and they really want to get in there it's a, it's a very great marketing demographic so yeah not only do we get the comics at the shows we get video games movies tv series things are barely barely even referential to the comic industry i think they had hawaii 50 there <laughs> only because it had it's starring daniel day kim and he was from lost and comic nerds love lost so we'll just we'll go with that yep it doesn't have to be a solid chain of events that leads you there. It's they're a pretty forgiving bunch. <laughs> so I know you've actually just recently started to get back into comics. How how have you been liking the modern landscape? Well, it's highly dependent on what you're reading. <laughs> now, <laughs> it was the same thing when I was young too. Just to to let people know for myself, um, like I read comic books when I was like nine years old, I'll probably about 13 or 14. I don't think, I think I sold off my collection when I was 14 or 15. Um, and I had a fairly sizable collection by that time as well too. But the thing is, is when you're younger, you're a lot more forgiving of bad writing and, <laughs> and of terrible art and things like that. And, and, and it's the same thing when you look back at TV shows that you used to love and watch them again. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I like this. And it's the same thing. I've read over some of the comics that I remember loving as a kid 25 years later. There's a little something lacking there. <laughs> um, now, the thing is, too, is the only reason. Well, I shouldn't say the only reason. I'd, I'd been reading some of the game times that had come out, like the Mass Effect and uh, Dragon Age ones. Um, and then when I picked up my iPad, of course, that is the premier comic book reading device so i picked up a whole bunch of them and i've read oh i've read some lulus I've, <laughs> some of them have been fairly interesting like punish for punisher versus batman stands out um but then i went and i started reading some of the best 
story arcs after having talked to you, like the the Astonishing X-Men by Joss Whedon, which I don't know how I'll be able to top that now. And I just finished The War of Light, which I read over 100 and all told over 120 because I skipped a couple issues all in one shot to get through that. So I like I've been reading all kinds of other little uh, one shots here and there. And, and again, I'm finding that I'm far more critical of of the writing now than I ever was then, but that's also because I write now and because I've read a library's worth of books. So that's something that I'm noticing a lot more now. Yeah, well, it's great that you should mention that because the quality of writing we've been seeing lately has really stepped it up. Like back in the 90s, it was all about excess, fancy holographic covers, overdrawn artwork, belts and pouches that had no real purpose, and the industry fell apart. Whereas about eight years ago or so, which is when I actually started getting back into it myself, we saw this renaissance with all these young upcoming writers like Brian Michael Bendis and Jeff Johns, who are really good writers, and they've set the industry into something more respectable than it was before. And that's the first thing we're going to talk about, actually, when it comes to Comic-Con, is every year at Comic-Con, they announce the Eisner Award winners. They're basically the Oscars for the comic industry. And just a couple I wanted to touch on real quick because I'm fans of these particular publications is best single issue went to Captain America number 601, which took me kind of by surprise because I don't really remember anything remarkable about the issue. It was kind of a flashback with uh, Bucky Barnes and Nick Fury talking about an old mission back in World War II when they were fighting frickin vampires. But I I might have to go back and reread that one now that I know it actually was the best issue of the year. I I mean, I obviously didn't get a chance to read it, but when you did send me the link to this, I'm going to try to find as many of these as I can so that I can read them as well. Um, but very much like the Oscars, you got to wonder, is there a lot of the political stuff behind the scenes that determines what is going to be the best? Because quite often the best isn't really what you would consider to be the best. I don't know how reliable these are. Well, I... It's kind of like the Oscars and the Emmys, where once you start winning, it's really hard to stop winning. For example, the best writer this year was Ed Brubaker for the third time. He won in, I believe it was 2007 and 2008 for his work on Captain America, Daredevil, and some of his own private series. And Brubaker is one of my favorite authors right now. He writes Captain America, and he's currently writing the Secret Avengers title, which is a lot of fun. You get this crazy black ops team together running all these fun missions. See, I haven't, uh, I mean, I'm going to be doing this a lot this first episode just because I'm still playing catch up, but I haven't, um, I haven't read those. The, the thing that I'm noticing with this too, and case in point again, that Captain America is winning this, he's winning for the work with that. And we're seeing with the news from Comic-Con as well, that there's a crap load more Captain America stuff that's going to be coming as well down the pipes. Well, you really have to respect what Brubaker has done on Captain America because He did the unthinkable. He brought Bucky Barnes back from the dead. That kid was dead for like 50 years. He was considered one of the untouchable characters that could never, ever be brought back. And not only did he bring him back, he made the guy freaking Captain America after he killed Steve Rogers. And people still kept reading (laughs) because the quality of the writing has been that good. See, I'm seeing a lot more. It's always been one of those things where you're not really dead if you're dead in comics. And with the War of Light series, nobody's dead. They're, even when you're dead, you're not dead. So, so that's the thing that I'm finding as well that is um, it's a lot harder to – let me put it this way instead. 
It takes a very, very good writer to make you care enough of a, about a character that when they die, you actually have a sense of loss. And then when they come back, you're actually happy to see it because in the back of your head, you know that death is not permanent in comic books, even within the same um, storylines, even it, like, I mean, it's one thing to say that I know that in the reboot, Colossus will be back. But in this case here, like with the death of Colossus and the him coming back in Astonishing X-Men with Joss Whedon, then the um, it, it was something that I noticed that I didn't find it quite as touching because I hadn't read all of the other stuff. But it's something that you had mentioned really actually threw you for a loop. And so again, and to me that touches on the quality of the writer that they're able to really, really push the envelope and make you feel for the character and not just present a story. Yeah. And just the one last, uh, Eisner award winner I wanted to touch on was best ongoing series went to the walking dead, which I could not be happier. I've been reading the walking dead since issue number one, and they're already up to issue. I think 75 just came out and that's one to definitely keep your eyes on. Cause we will be talking about it later on in the podcast. Yeah. So getting into some news because that's really what all comic con is about is news and booth babes. We're going to touch on Marvel. First of all, they had several panels and the really, like you said, the theme for Marvel this year, was Captain America. He's got like eight miniseries launching next year. It's ridiculous, especially when next year should be the year of Thor, not the year of Captain America. Yeah. Did you get a look at some of those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically that's all I'm seeing is Captain America all over the place. And then as part of some of the Avengers stuff that's coming out as well. So I, I, I guess every year they're going through cycles where they are concentrating on certain characters. But it seems that they could have spread the love a little bit more. Yeah, but it's kind of funny because when uh, Iron Man came out a few years ago, of course, Iron Man was everywhere. But that was right around the time just after the Civil War when Tony Stark was like the most hated person in the Marvel Universe. So every appearance Iron Man had leading up to his movie was him getting his ass kicked. He got his <laughs> ass kicked by Thor. He got his ass kicked by Spider-Man. And, you know, a month later, oh, here's the Iron Man movie. <laughs> way to way to build up the character. <laughs> But the one thing that really, really excited me about the Marvel panels this year was there is a lot of talk about the Marvel Cosmic franchise as it becomes to known. Not only from the writers and from the editors, but the fans were salivating over any information about it. And that is great. Uh, about in 2005, I think it was, around the same time the Civil War was going on in the regular Marvel Universe, this big event went on out in space called Annihilation, where they got together all of the famous outer space heroes in Marvel history, uh, Quasar, Adam Warlock, Nova, Silver Surfer, Galactus, you know, Thanos, all these characters that really haven't uh, the Earth based teams haven't really had much interaction with over the years. And they're really fun characters and they brought them together into this great story. And for the last five years, they've been delivering constant quality. It's probably the most constant quality you'll find anywhere in any comics over a five year period. And right now they're going through this huge event called the Thanos imperative where they've brought Thanos and he's actually kind of a good guy in this one. There's Thanos imperative. Number two was awesome because you had, you know, all these heroes, the guardians of the galaxy, 
Galaxy, Thanos and Galactus all fighting on the same side because there was actually a bigger threat that they had to combine against. And it has just been so much fun with such great writing. And right now, everything is up in the air because they took their two ongoing series, Nova and Guardians of the Galaxy, and put them on hiatus during the event. Instead of publishing crappy tie-ins, which I know are a favorite of yours, they're just taking all that publishing and focusing it on the core story. And the fans are eating it up, and they cannot wait to find out more. And see, that's when you know that the writing has got control, the writers have got control of the story arc. Um, I've mentioned this often with the the war of light there are far too many times where you get the impression that they don't have control of that story anymore that they're losing control and that you keep thinking okay rope it in boys you're you're, it's going so something like this where they're instead you you know that they're concentrating on something specific they you can see that they have control of the story that shows a strong writer yeah, and it's it's just been so much fun. And one last thing to touch on on that main Marvel uh, panel was a fan got up and asked a question to Jeff Loeb, the current writer for the Hulk series, and said, I've been reading your title for the last two years, and I have no idea what's yeah, going I saw on. That. <laughs> <laughs> because they just recently revealed that the Red Hulk is none other than General Thunderbolt Ross, Bruce Banner's enemy since day one. And it came out of nowhere. They went on to explain it, and their explanation was kind of iffy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this whole uh, World War Hulks, Fall of the Hulks story they got going on, my comic shop isn't even carrying it. They're <laughs> like, it, it's, it's, it's not good. We're not going to carry it. <laughs> so just to have a fan stand up and ask him about it, and his response was, it is what it is, basically. We write the best stories we can. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, too, which is, well, you know, you got to give them credit for, for being honest. And um, But I guess, again, an IP can only live so long. But in comics, they want them to live forever. So when you, you're giving the reins to a writer who, you know, it, everything's already been done how many times before, you can see how, again, they lose control of it and just do whatever they want with it. Yeah, I mean, it's just gotten way too big with way too many tie-ins, which is a huge issue for a lot of events these days. It's kind of why I'm a little apprehensive about Shadowland. I love the core story Shadowland is trying to trying to tell. But if you look at the last page of Shadowland number one and it lists all the tie-ins, it's ludicrous. They're they're publishing like 30 books in five months that you're going to have to read. (laughs) <laughs> but keeping on the money. Red Hulk, <laughs> yeah, keep keeping on the Red Hulk thread at the Avengers panel, they announced that he's actually going to join the Avengers coming in issue number seven. So that's going to be very interesting to see. And it's something I'm actually really looking forward to because John Romita is drawing the Avengers title right now. And his work on Planet Hulk and World War Hulk was phenomenal. Romita's characters are a little iffy sometimes. I'm not crazy about his Thor. I'm not crazy about his Iron Man. But he does two things better than just about anybody in the industry, and that's draw Spider-Man and draw Hulk. So having the Red Hulk joining the Avengers seems like a no-brainer. See, that's actually something that I can comment on because we just watched Planet Hulk, the um, the cartoon that was just released. And in the special features, they have a lot of talk where they, they are referencing the work on the, the comic book and whatnot and, and displaying a lot of the artwork and, and how they try to stay true to as much as they could. And you can really appreciate the work that went into that series. Yeah. 
So uh, just a couple other things I wanted to talk about. New Avengers is going to be getting a mystical story arc coming up where obviously they need to get a better babysitter for Luke Cage and Jessica Jones kid because that's like the third time he's been kidnapped in the last year. (laughs) But they have said not all characters will make it through. And if you want somebody to read your comics, tell them someone's going to (laughs) die. And that's the uh, they're doing the the cartoon series on that as well. Correct. Uh, I'm not sure. I have I haven't really looked into the upcoming Avengers cartoon series because there's so many Avengers books right now. But, but of the three primary Avengers books, New Avengers is my favorite right now. Right. If if due to nothing else than Luke frickin Cage. I love that character. <laughs> and uh, one thing that I I wasn't expecting is they were talking about Ultimate Spider-Man. Well, technically right now it's called Ultimate Comics Spider-Man because they relaunched it a while back. And issue number 16 will celebrate 150 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man and 10 years since they created the Ultimate Universe. And that's something that's really close to me because Ultimate Spider-Man is actually the book that got me back into comics. Everybody was talking about how great it was and this guy that nobody had ever heard of, Brian Michael Bendis, was writing it. So I picked it up. I went to the bookstore one day and I bought my cup of coffee. I grabbed the trade paperback off the shelf and I was blown away. I read through everything they had in that day. And since then, that's what rekindled my interest in comics. Nice. So keeping on the Spider-Man thread, the news of the con for me was the Spider-Man panel. They were talking to the slew of writers because when they relaunched Amazing Spider-Man three years ago, they did it under the header of Brand New Day. And what they did was they took Spider-Man's three monthly titles and canceled two of them and decided just to publish Amazing Spider-Man three times a month instead. And it's allowed them to tell these fantastic stories that huge stories that would take years to tell in a regular comic and put in these little plot threads they can pick up later. And it's been a lot of fun. And they're talking about how after the current one moment in time story, they're going to go on to the next story arc called Origin of the Species. And that's going to finish the entire brand new day era of Amazing Spider-Man. After that, the writing team consisting of guys like Zeb Wells, Joe Kelly, Fred Van Lenty. They're all going to move on to other projects, leaving Dan Slott as the sole writer for Amazing Spider-Man, which is great. I love Slott's work. He was really the one that launched the Brand New Day. A lot of the best story arcs in Brand New Day were told by Slott. And his title uh, a little while ago, Mighty Avengers, was one of the most fun comics Marvel was putting out at the time. So he's going to be taking over core full writing duties of Amazing Spider-Man with three artists working for him. And instead of three times a month, they're going to start publishing it two times a month. But instead of the standard 24 pages, they're going to be publishing it as 30 pages. Hmm. And they teased the big... Their theme for the relaunch is called Big Time, and they put up some of these fantastic images showing various concepts that they're going after. Did you take a look at some of those images? Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) And and the the, the artwork is amazing on them, too. Oh, yeah. If you're doing Spider-Man, you got to have great art. And they, the one they showed with him in the green armor fighting the Hobgoblin. What they the showed hell was him that? In a, <laughs> they showed him in a Fantastic Four costume. That, that too. And, and one that you probably kind of missed out on that really struck me was they showed him fighting the Scorpion. And they said that, that is Mac Gargan, the Scorpion, the, the traditional Scorpion from years back. Right. In years past, in the last couple of years, Mac Gargan has gone away from the Scorpion persona, and he's actually been the host for the Venom symbiote. So if he's back as Scorpion, that raises the huge question, who's Venom? (laughs) Which is going to be a big mystery that I'm sure they're going to drag out for a while, teasing the fans along. And it's one of those great mysteries that you just can't wait to find out more about. 
Yeah, there is some very exciting news that I read there too for for the Spider-Man series. I was very impressed. Yeah, I, Spider-Man was really Marvel's big comic story this year. They they have a lot of movie stuff that we're going to touch on later, and they you know they won the con with their movie panel. But Spider-Man was really where it was at for them as far as comics. So moving on to DC, we got a lot of info on Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, of course. With Superman and Wonder Woman, they've been under a lot of scrutiny lately because they just relaunched both titles. Superman number 700 came out not that long ago, as well as Batman number 600 with J. Michael Straczynski taking over writing duties. I am a fan of Straczynski's work. I actually liked a lot of the stuff that he's been criticized for on his Spider-Man work. I liked a lot of the concepts he was trying to work with. He just doesn't work well under a, a regime like Marvel. Marvel likes to do their big events with all of their characters tying in, and it's really hard to tell a cohesive story when you always have to do with what the company is doing. If you're writing a huge character like Spider-Man and there's a big event going on, well, Spider-Man's got to participate in that. So you have to put all of your storylines on hold to go take care of what's the more important story. So he left Marvel for those reasons and has picked up writing on two of the biggest characters in comic history, Superman and Wonder Woman. And those are definitely two titles we're going to be talking a lot more about in the future because there's a lot of press on them, which is impressive because Superman and Wonder Woman sales wise have not been doing that great for characters of their status. And they are actually pushing a lot more with Wonder Woman now, too, I've been noticing. So it's going to be nice for them. Like the stuff that they're talking about doing with the character and with the storylines and with the the um, some new enemies and whatnot, too. It does sound like they're really looking forward to putting some fresh ideas into it. Yeah. And I'm going to be uh, working on my review for Superman number 701, really uh, Straczynski's first full issue on it. So we're going to see a lot more of that uh, on the website to come. So getting into the Batman news, as we all know, Bruce Wayne is returning because nobody stays dead in comics. And they were talking about the upcoming Batman lineup. He's got like six books coming out. I wasn't really paying attention because to be perfectly honest, I haven't liked Batman's direction over the last few years. I'm not a big fan of Grant Morrison's work, but they announced a new title that's going to be written by Grant Morrison theoretically going to be the central title in the Batman franchise called Batman Inc. It's going to focus a lot on the Batman family. Robin, Nightwing, or is he Nightwing? They showed an image with two actual Batmen because as we know, Bruce Wayne is Batman, but since Bruce Wayne quote unquote died, Dick Grayson has been filling the role of Batman. And is he going to want to give that up? And they fans kept trying to ask questions about, hey, so maybe the Justice League, is that gonna be Dick Grayson or is it gonna be Batman? You know, trying to trick them into answering. And they haven't they haven't announced it yet. So it's it's gonna be a fun time. And the biggest news for me, Batman related, is that the Batman Beyond miniseries that they're publishing right now has been selling like crazy. They did this tiny They did this little story in the Superman Batman annual that went to the fan favorite Batman Beyond alternate future. And that sold well. So they decided to start making a miniseries about Batman Beyond. And it's been great. And it has sold so well, they've decided to continue it as an ongoing series, not just a miniseries. Fans love their Batman Beyond. Well, it's fantastic. I mean, it was great when it was the animated series, and this has been really enjoyable. So I could not be happier to see this. And I and and I'm I'm a, I'm a very big fan of the traditional Batman. I always have been. That's one of the series that I collected back in the day that I absolutely adored. But this reboot 
I don't know. It it made sense and it was fun and it was a new character that really bounced off of Wayne very well. So I very happy about this. Yeah, I mean Bruce Wayne has always been, you know, the the, the sarcastic sort of, you know, isolated one. So see him actually having to work with somebody and, you know, begrudgingly giving up little bits of information and occasional praise has just been a lot of fun with the characters. So we have Superman, we have Batman, we have Wonder Woman. Honestly, nobody really cares about them right now in DC because DC's flagship hero over the last year or so has been the Green Lantern, a character I know you're getting very familiar <laughs> with. <laughs> More and, than just a little. <laughs> because not only has his comics been everywhere, top sellers, but he has a movie coming out next year, a movie that I'm not particularly uh anticipating because I, they unveiled the costume. The costume looks kind of funky. I, I'll go see it, of course, but I'm not expecting as much out of that as I am out of, say, the Thor movie coming out around the same time. So we got a lot of... Oh, do you have something to say? No, no. no actually, I was <laughs> just going to say, I, I'm not too crazy about the casting either. Um, so let alone the, the costume and everything else, I personally don't even think the casting fit. So no. I, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I mean, Ryan Reynolds would have made a great Guy Gardner or Kyle Rayner. He just doesn't have the the respect that's that he, you know, a character like Hal Jordan really needs. Yeah, I, I maybe maybe he can pull it off, but it's just that again when the thing with when they're doing something like this is you're 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 thinking about the actor based on what you've seen them in or your your perception of them based on other movies, not how they're going to be able to pull that movie off and their and their acting talent and whether or not they can pull it off and so maybe once we see him we'll be like oh okay yeah it fits and you're, you're good at it but based on what we've seen him on in the past and his the type of characters he tends to play i don't know i just i don't see it at all yeah that's we're gonna have to wait and find out so talking about the actual green lantern comics though we got a wealth of information from several panels talking about a lot of their upcoming storylines and the first one that popped out was they're doing a Green Lantern Secret Origin number two because the Secret Origin, the first Secret Origin series was a lot of fun telling, you know, the, the birth of Hal Jordan as the Green Lantern and some of his interactions with Sinestro sort of setting up a lot of the future plots to come. So now Secret Origin two is going to focus on Sinestro and it's possibly going to be very fun because we actually don't know a whole lot about Sinestro's past. Oh, and what we know he's a bad guy. <laughs> well, now you know that. <laughs> I'll have to put in the show notes the reference to the episode, <laughs> the lore episode of you where don't that is. Name yes. a good guy, Sinestro. <laughs> and the thing that really shot out at me about this was it's going to be drawn by Ivan Rias, who has become a superstar in the industry after his work on Blackest Night. How did how did you like his his artwork in Blackest Night? The artwork was phenomenal, it, and yeah. and that's something that we've been talking about more too. Is I'm reading different episodes or different issues of different things too. Just how much the artwork can take away from the story in much the same way that one done properly can add so much to it. When you're looking at some of the Blackest Night stuff. And they're talking about um, one of the issues had the, the behind the scenes where they're talking about it kind of thing as well. And they're talking about all the different layers of shading and the style and everything that went into it. You can see it and feel it when you're 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 reading them. Like I was very, very impressed with all of that work. 
Yeah. And Jeff Johns had a great line. He said, the mistake Ivan made is I gave him a double page yeah. spread with 500 <laughs> characters and he did it really well. Yeah. So I did it again, <laughs> which proves my old saying, prove you can do something right once and it's your job forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's true. Like when you're looking at some of these double spread panels and there's like tons of people easily recognizable and captivating and not just like the some of these when you look at them it's it looks as if they're just you know cut and pasted in kind of thing the the look of the entire series was seamless it was absolutely gorgeous yeah so uh, we talked they were talking about some upcoming storylines we're going to learn more about the indigo lanterns we're going to see the origin of sinestro's yellow power ring lots of cool stuff coming up and stupid fans love the cat deck star has become a fan favorite. And I think it was Green Lantern issue 54. They actually did a backup feature about the origin of Dexstar, the Red Lantern from Earth. Guys, it, it, it's a house cat with a red ring on his tail that gives him superpowers. <laughs> the fans stupid. love Dexstar. It's stupid. I hate it. <laughs> I can't even appreciate it from a comic perspective. It's like it just... And you know what? Maybe if... He hadn't been in that one shot with all the other rage all around him and the stupid, stupid cat there. And maybe that would have been different. But, you know, no, I'm not a fan. <laughs> well, they have said that we are going to be getting future backup issues detailing the origins of some of these characters that we've barely seen. Because if you look at a lot of those spreads with all the various lanterns fighting, you see some guy who just looks awesome. And he doesn't even have a name sometimes. We didn't know who Dexstar was until the series came out. So it's cool that they're picking up on a lot of these cool little characters that they introduced just for the hell of it. And they're really seeing that there's a reaction from the fans and they're giving the fans what they want, even if what they want is Red Lantern kitty cats. Yeah. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to touch on for DC was a little bit of news that kind of snuck in under the radar, but it's actually a huge deal. DC actually offered the rights to, of Watchmen back to Alan Moore. DC has owned the rights to Watchmen ever since, and Moore really, really has many issues with the comic industry, and he just wants to do his own thing. He doesn't want to be associated with DC or even Marvel right now. So when they offered him the rights to this series that he is best known for, it was a huge deal because DC has gone through a lot of corporate restructuring lately. A lot of the people in charge of DC now are actual comic guys, not business guys. That's a move that really worked out for Marvel years back. So they see that this man that they greatly respect doesn't have ownership of one of the most well-known titles in the industry. So they offered it back to him under the precedent that he would have to write some sequels and prequels to it in order to get it back. And he flat out refused. And the great line he said was, if they had offered me the same deal 15 years ago when I first asked for it, I probably would have taken it then. But now they can just bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So like we said, you know, it's Comic-Con. Comics are the focus. But the really big thing that a lot of the companies were driving this year is their work outside of the printed book. 
there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out on the big screen and the little screen. The first one, and one that I didn't see coming, was the new animated series from DC called Young Justice. It's a team of young superheroes. The Young Justice was the title that was published in between Teen Titans cancellations, <laughs> when it was basically the same team of Teen Titans with Superboy, Aqualad, uh, Robin, Speedy, you know, all, all the various sidekick characters banding together that people loved. And it seems like it's going to be a pretty cool series. What do you think of that one? See, I love these things. Um, we watch them with the kids all the time. And when done properly, they're fantastic. And it's it's just when they tend to wallow too much in the melodrama of being a teenager kind of attitude that then it loses the attention of the adults who are watching it as well. But then, I mean, you can look again at the Batman Beyond series, which would touch on some of the hardships of being a teenager kind of thing, but not wallow in it. It was it was the stories, it was the action, it was the the dealing with the um, the original Batman kind of thing, which is what we're going to be seeing at this, where they're also going to need to be dealing with the original Justice League as well. So when you're looking at everything that they're saying so far, it does look like it's going to be fairly interesting. Yeah, that's a that's a great touch. I'm really looking forward to because Teen Titans, I love Teen Titans. It was a lot of fun, yeah. but it didn't really reference that much to the core titles. There is one half hearted reference to Batman and you got to see a little bit of Beast Boys uh, previous team, but it was really self-contained. And the fact that Robin is going to have to live up to Batman's expectations, Superboy's got to live up to Superman's expectations, Impulse is going to have to live up to Flash's expectations. It's really going to be an interesting dynamic. So sticking to the TV front, one that I have been looking at every image, every little bootleg trailer I can find is the Walking Dead TV series coming to AMC in October. I cannot wait to see this because, like I said, Walking Dead has been one of my favorite books for the last couple of years, and they are doing this so perfectly. When I saw this little trailer of somebody's hand cam footage on YouTube and I saw Rick Grimes step out of the hospital, it, they did panel for panel all of the important scenes, but they're also not sticking to it too completely. If they feel that there's a good story to tell, they're going to explore that. And hey, Robert Kirkman is one of my favorite writers right now, and he approves of the series. So when the writer of the comic approves of the TV series, I'm down for that. See, this is going to have to be one where I actually go back and read the series um, because I watched the trailer for this and not having read the series, I was watching it and thinking, how is this different than every other zombie movie we've been seeing? I didn't see any originality there whatsoever. I saw what would be, yes, a gripping story. And yes, the, you know, wanting to go find your wife and child and, and the interactions and whatnot. However, we've seen that in how many movies now? I, I'm, I don't know. I'm finding it very hard to see anything original in this. And I'm, I think I'm just basically going to have to read the series to be able to appreciate it more. Well, the twist they're taking here is the zombies aren't the story. The zombies are just the setting. The zombies set up all of the character interactions you're going to see because as they're traveling cross-country trying to find a safe place to live, they interact with a huge cast of characters. And some of them come along, some of them are friends, some of them are enemies, some of them are recurring characters for dozens of issues – but they also aren't afraid to kill off characters either. Don't get too attached to anyone in this show. The cool thing was this is being put out on essentially basic cable. American Movie Classics is a channel almost every household, at least in America, gets. And the footage they brought to Comic-Con 
they had to cut because what they are willing to put on AMC, again, basic cable, was too extreme for the Comic-Con audience. And when you've got zombies, you need blood and gore. <laughs> yeah, they, from what you see in the trailer that they showed, it, it it's it's almost as if they're cutting at points right before it would get a little bloody or something or, or a little too edgy. But even what's in there... Um, when you're seeing the little girl zombie walking towards him and he's, you know that he's going to have to kill her kind of thing. There's a lot of things like that that, yeah, being on TV, you're, you're really pushing a boundary there. Yeah, cannot wait for that one. So moving on to movies, we talked about the Green Lantern movie. DC really didn't show off too much about it. A couple of posters and they had a, a closed door screening of a trailer. That's one that we're just going to have to keep looking for later. But Marvel blew everybody away with their film coverage this week. Well, the first one kind of goes without saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first one is next year's upcoming Thor. Thor was everywhere here. They kept showing off props, which is pretty cool. They showed off uh, Thor's helmet with Loki's and Odin's because in all the promotional artwork and footage they've shown so far, Thor's not wearing his iconic helmet, which Roger loves that helmet, by the way. He actually has a replica on his shelf at home. It's a very fancy (laughs) helmet. (laughs) So knowing that Thor is going to be in his iconic appearance in the movie is a big Big thing. They showed off the destroyer armor, a very big part of the comic, and it's going to be an important part in the movie. And one thing that I forgot to tell you about, Roger, is on the last day of the show, they surprised everyone by throwing out the Infinity Gauntlet. Are you familiar with that? No. Okay. The Infinity Gauntlet is one of their Marvel's huge stories from back in the 80s. And it's it's one of the quintessential Marvel tales that, you know, just about anybody has to read. And I highly recommend it to everyone. It's a ton of fun. But the Infinity Gauntlet isn't an item really tied to the Thor mythos. Loki has possessed some of the gems here and there, but it's showing that they're willing to go outside what's known to the character. It shows that the writers and the directors didn't just pick up a couple of Thor comics, flip through them and go, hey, that's cool. It shows that they have a knowledge for not just their character, but the entire continuity of that character. And it really excites me for the future of the franchise, which would be Captain America. (laughs) We saw very little Captain America. They actually showed off a small trailer that I haven't been able to find any footage of after only eight days of shooting. So showing off a bit of Hugo Weaving as the Red Skull and showing off Chris Evans as Captain America. And everybody has been a little critical about Chris Evans being cast as Captain America, but they stood up and said something very important. They said, in order to buy the role of Captain America, you first have to like Steve Rogers. And Chris Evans, now that I'm in retrospect, is the one actor they've come up with that does embody both roles very well. He is very likable as a Steve Rogers, and he can have the seriousness that you do need in a Captain America. But of course, the huge, huge movie everybody is waiting for is The Avengers. And they have the greatest picture in the history of comic fandom when you have Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans, Sam Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, all standing on stage as Iron Man, Captain America, not in costume, but seeing all these actors together. It's the first time you realize as a comic fan, this is actually happening. Well, not just that, but the, the, the wealth of talent that they're bringing to it as well. Oh, yes. They have announced that Jeremy Renner, the breakout actor from The Hurt Locker, is going to be playing the role of Hawkeye, which I think is going to be great. And they announced Mark Ruffalo, who 
he's that guy to me. You know, nothing I've really ever enjoyed him in. It's going to be playing Bruce Banner, replacing Edward Norton after their famed contract fallout there. And the rumor that has been circulating the Internet for months was finally confirmed that the movie is being directed by Joss Whedon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, oh, yeah. That made me. The only thing that saddened me about that is that they're not putting Nathan Fillion in there somewhere. That, that's the other. I know they joked about it when they were doing this, but the fact that it was not true, that pissed me off to no end. I, they, they have to find a role for him in there somewhere. But uh, but no, hearing that Joss is doing this was just, I, I, I was floored. I It suddenly gave the movie a lot more importance than it had before. Right, because Joss Whedon is probably the one person on the planet that has credibility with the motion picture industry and credibility with the comic industry. So getting someone who can bridge that gap really, really gives fans a lot of hope for the future of this movie. Oh, definitely. So that about wraps up our Comic-Con coverage. Was there anything else that you uh, noticed there, Raj? No, no. I actually went over everything that I had questions about. Um, there are a lot of things that I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing these storylines pan out. Um, I'm seeing a little bit too much attention to certain characters that maybe I wasn't much of a fan of before, but I'm hoping that with the new writing and the new work on them, that, again, they get reinvented into something that I can then appreciate more. Yeah, coming coming into this industry right now, it's it's a great time to be a comic fan, especially a new comic fan, because quality is top right now. I, I cannot praise many of these writers enough and the artists as well, because a comic is nothing without great art. So thank you for joining us for the first issue of our Bow Down to Us comic podcast. Starting next week, we're going to be joining our more traditional format, talking about the big stories of the week and what's upcoming to look forward to. Hope you'll enjoy us then, and thank you. Awesome, dude. And <laughs> issue, do that again. That's awesome. Instead of episode, do issue. That's awesome. It's issue. I, t I said issue? You said issue. Okay, you didn't mean to? Wow, I did not mean to. Okay, mean <laughs> to next time. From now on, do that. That's awesome. That was an absolute mistake. Okay, but regardless, it works. It, it works very well. So do that again. I mean, I'm fairly certain I can, you know, maintain a moderate level what are of you implying composure. what are you implying? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty curious as to know as to what you're, you're implying. You can have a couple of takes. I won't even interrupt you. <laughs> you almost did. <laughs> <laughs>